1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 368, recorded June 26th, 2022.
0: And we're continuing our Mirror War read-through with Jordy uh, number 1 and Mirror War number 5. Both came out earlier this year, 2022. Yep. March was Jordy,
1: and what was uh, number 5? April. April. Okay, cool. So, Donovan, what do you think of this little focus on Geordie? In a nutshell, because right. we got more yeah. to say later.
0: Yeah, I'll talk about it once, once uh, spoilers are out. But right. uh, it was nice to get a little backstory. I mean, kind of like how the Data one was. It's mm-hmm. just uh, almost like a little origin of Jordy, Right. Of sorts. It, but, I think it very much is a, a, an origin story of this Geordie. Yeah.
1: And it's interesting the places they chose to go.
0: Right. This is not our Jordy for sure. No, this is not our Jordy. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, uh, and then uh, the the continuation of the main Mirror of War story with mm-hmm. issue number five. That that one surprised me too. That that there's a huge time jump in between four and five, which I right. was not expecting. Yeah. Which but we'll really, if, talk about there.
1: if they would have done it real time. There would have been a lot of issues burned. (laughs) Just building building (laughs) a ship. Yeah, exactly. What, Fondori or
0: Fondue or whatever the name
1: of the planet is?
0: Yeah. Well, they do it pretty quick when they're building the Defiant on, you know, wherever they built the Defiant in the Deep Space Nine episodes. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious where, uh, yeah. Well, Well, we'll have more to talk about that later.
1: Well, at least they chose to be more realistic about it. And that's sure. fine as a time jump in. Yeah, no, I was okay a comic book. Time. Or even in, I mean, there was a big time jump in multiple T V series. There was a big time jump uh in Battlestar Galactica once they had gotten to that one planet. It's interesting. It it makes more sense. It's and like don't forget about the big
0: time jump in discovery.
1: Woo-hoo.
0: Are you being well, okay. Okay. Know. Yeah, Thousands okay. Uh yeah. Yeah, a thousand <laughs> years or whatever. Yeah, something like that.
1: Yeah, but what about the time jump? There wasn't. Didn't they complete that refit of Enterprise and record-breaking time? In which one? In which one? Uh, like, uh, what was it uh, was it season four or season three when they jumped forward in time? So yeah, they get the to the future. The first two seasons are in the past, and the, the third and fourth seasons. In there the you go. There you go. So in the third season, they had to get. Future Starfleet to trust them and everything, but once they did, they got all the bells and whistles added to uh, Discovery, including floating. Oh, that's Enterprise.
0: That's why I got confused. Oh, did I say yeah, Enterprise? Oh, yeah, my, my fault. Yeah, no, they. Discovery yeah, it gets refit pretty
1: quick. The Discovery refit happens like in the blink of an eye. Right. And and if they explained it and so that there was a time jump or something, then that's fine. But I don't remember them explaining a
0: time jump. Well, tech in a thousand years is much more advanced. I know, but come on. They have like liquid core. uh,
1: They have programmable
0: memory. Memory banks is just a big pool of uh, liquid stuff that you can drown in somehow. Yes, but it also can get a a cold. So There you go. Yeah, well, that's the Voyager. They they figured it out by discovery. (laughs) Okay, so back to this. I think it's a very melancholy story, but very interesting. Yeah. The Geordie one's kind of sad. Yeah. It's kind of like taking one of your favorite heroes and really turning him evil. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yes. Turning him evil, but also showing what kind of a life he led that caused him to become so evil. Right. Yeah. So, shall we get into it? Let's do it. So, issue number one of Geordi, perhaps the only issue, March 2022, writer is Jay Holtham, artist Carlos Rodriguez, colorist DC Alonzo, letterer Neil Yataki, editor Heather Antos. We got three covers. The first one features Geordi in an agony booth, screaming in pain while a hooded figure looks on. And that cover is created by Carlos Rodriguez. Cover B presents kind of a spin on cover A with a hooded figure, a big, huge hooded figure taking up most of the comic, or their head and and hands, where the hooded figure is holding a tiny version of an agony booth. And within it, Jordy is in there. And again, he's like, get me out of here. About the same kind of thing. Who is that hooded figure? Retailer incentive cover is dominated by Geordie's head and shoulders, looking down on a younger version of himself, standing in flames. Behind him is a rusty red planet with a space station in orbit. Behind the planet is sort of a digitized star field. So it's, you figure it's probably a star field, but it's all kind of bandy and weird looking. So I don't know whether that's how Jordi sees space. I'm not sure what that's supposed to be, but it's a little bit weird for a stellar background. Jordi is in an agony booth being tortured by a hooded figure using a voice modulator. Jordi thinks to himself, hmm, they don't want to be identified. Jordi thinks that pain is weakness, leaving the body. He is resolute to fight back and tell his interrogator nothing. Finally, after softening the engineer up, It gets to the point that the hooded figure asks Geordi what he was doing on Echo 3. Geordi is floored. How does his interrogator know about his trip to that key Empire listening post? He had to cleverly disable the post's ability to detect the Enterprise when it leaves for Fundori. As Geordi approached the listening post in a shuttle, he used his old Utopia Planitia credentials to give him access to its operating system. After he had the access, he did a little hacking, but before he could get things really done, he found himself transported out of the cockpit of the shuttle and directly into the agony booth he is currently in. Jordy obliges by telling his tormentor about the listening post, but this is general information and not what the hooded figure really wants to know. So the agony is inflicted yet again. Geordie tells himself he can take the pain. Bring it on! Geordie enters a fugue state and mentally leaves the booth to his past, thinking how he has to toughen up like he had as a blind young boy being taken advantage of by others and severely beaten. After four boys beat the young Geordie, a tall, broad man walks up to him and refuses to take Geordie's hand and help him up. Can't raise a dependent wimp, the man thinks. Later, apparently in Geordie's home, under the cover of night, Geordie walks into what appears to be his father and mother's bedroom and drops a clever incendiary device. The two people die in agony, somewhat like the agony Geordie is now experiencing in the booth. The interrogator turns off the pain long enough to say Geordie is starting to impress him with his toughness. It mentions poor Gwen Lou and cranks up the pain as Geordie wonders how can the interrogator know about Gwen. It was so long ago, when he was a younger officer just off the Stargazer. At Utopia Planitia Shipyards, Lou observed that despite all the loot he could continue to make on the Stargazer, he came to this posting? Jordy simply looks up and says he had to see the Enterprise-D. He has to work on her, be part of her creation. Geordi meets the brutal dictatorial director of the project Sanchez who slaps Lou and tells Geordi to get to his workstation Later Lou takes Geordi up in a shuttle to take a closer look at the technological marvel where he sees liquid being applied to the hull that is part of her cloaking technology The two almost come to blows over Geordi's mistrust of Lou but eventually he comes to trust her and they kiss Later, back in one of their quarters, they make some real sweet, sweet McLovin. Lou has ideas for improvements that keep getting shot down by her boss Sanchez, so Geordie encourages her and says they can make the changes and prove their worth. Later, when they are showing Sanchez... A new warp core change, three security officers with phasers drawn tell Sanchez to stand back from the edge of the platform. They say Lou planned to kill Sanchez and Geordie turned her in. Lou can't believe that Geordie turned her in. She loves him. She is taken away as Geordie thinks to himself losing Sanchez would cost the project months of delay, and we just can't have that. Geordie is brought back to the present when the pain is temporarily turned off. The Inquisitor states, He gave up Lou, and he will give up the card, too. The hooded figure is finally close enough to the booth. Geordie leverages a weakness in the design of the older style agony booth to pop the door and lunge at his tormentor. He rips off the hood to reveal, Inquisitor Troy? Geordie demands Troy explain her actions. She says she checked Geordie's records and came across Lou. She believes if he gave up Lou, he could give up the card. Geordie says he was disloyal and he used it to his advantage. She says she says she feels there is more to it in him. Geordie will not admit to having loved her or any other additional information. Troy says they need to get back to the Enterprise and turns to go, but then stops and twists the knife one more time. She says Lou was killed in a cave, you know, in the mine that she was sentenced to. Geordie can't help himself. He remembers her face and reminds himself that pain is weakness, leaving his body and taking everything, including love, with it. All that is left is cold as the vacuum of space.
0: The end. So uh Jordy's a bad dude. Oh he's a bad dude. He's a bad lover.
1: Well he could be a good lover, but well. Did he love her? Did he not love her? I think he loved her. But he but he saw love as weakness.
0: Well I meant emotionally.
1: I meant emotionally.
0: Right. When we heard that there was gonna be a Geordie miniseries or mm-hmm. a Geordie one shot. Yep. I was like, Alright, we're gonna finally explore that whole Leah Brahms weirdness. Oh. And then nope, we didn't we didn't go there at all. We we introduced a whole new lover. Mm-hmm. Which I was like This is not the girl I wanna see about. Now are we supposed to know who she is? I didn't look No, I don't at
1: her. I don't think so. I okay. think this was made up for the uh story. But if they ever mentioned to her during TNG, I, I don't recall her. Yeah,
0: I don't either. But I know that he's had many uh, uh, unsuccessful women that he wooed there on Next Generation. So I, I thought, well, well, maybe she was supposed to be one of those. But yeah. the name didn't jump out at me.
1: <clears throat> I don't remember him wooing <laughs> a, uh, a lovely young Asian lady. I don't remember that. But Right.
0: Now, yes. As far as like the backstory goes, you know, one of the things we talked about is in this universe. That's very, uh, I don't know. Don't d- doesn't doesn't uh, really accommodate other races or other disabilities and things like that. As to why Jordy has a visor at all, right? Because we we uh-huh. talked about it way back when that uh-huh. in this universe they would have probably just killed him or whatever. So I, I did kind of like this backstory, even though it's very, very dark. It's very dark. But yeah. it does kind of explain <clears throat> how how a blind boy could have survived in this very bleak universe. Yeah. It's dog-eat-dog, dog, competition, competition, competition.
1: There is no room for mercy or being sympathetic towards anything. And you have to be tough to survive, and apparently, that's what at least his his father did. Jordy's father did. So even when he was beaten by four boys that could see, the father didn't even try to help him up. What now w- w- was and I assume that's his father. I mean, they never said. Yeah, I assume it was. But. Yeah. So yeah. So is it? I mean, is the father doing him a favor or is he going overboard? Obviously, Jordy thinks he's going overboard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then Jody jumps into the deep end. You ain't kidding. Yeah, so he's somehow able to build this, like, makeshift bomb. Yeah. Because it looks like it's just, like, held together by rubber bands or tape or something. Right. Which is pretty impressive for a blind kid. Oh, exactly. Where does he get combustible materials? Right. But he got
1: it from somewhere. So, I mean, yeah. how old is he? 12? 10? 11? I yeah, don't know. He's yeah, he's young.
0: Pre-teen, for sure.
1: yeah. So he tortures both the mother and the father. We have no idea how bad or good the mother was. But this is the mirror universe, so she was probably bad too. Right. And, the, you know, obviously this is the demonstration that the environment that Jordy was brought up in resulted in a very flawed person that is obsessed with being strong. Right. And not being taken advantage of. And anything that gets in the
0: way of that gets ultimately shoved aside. Right. Yeah, it was it was brutal. I mean, yep. and, and I hate to say you like it because you don't want to see anybody get torched to death while they're asleep. No. But uh, I thought it was interesting backstory for this version of Jordy that is so different than what you would expect. Oh, oh my gosh. But, you know, like I said, what makes these stories better than some of the... Uh, well, some of the live-action versions of the Mirror Universe is that we're given reasons for them to be like this. They're not evil just because they have a goatee. They're evil. They're not even... They don't see themselves as evil. They they just... Their life is so different than than the Jordi and Picard that we know that this is just what they have to do this to is a survive social in norm. this universe. Yeah. This
1: is a social norm.
0: Which I like. I like that it's giving yeah. a
1: backstory. Exactly. The main thing I liked about this one is that it's showing you how how broken this society is, at least in my opinion, I think in our opinion, anybody from the world that we we were brought up in, how broken this society is. It is an extreme of winner-take-all, dog-eat-dog. There's no place for mercy so... You'd better toughen up if you're going to survive. And you, and you basically become the thing you hate. I'm sure Jordy hated... He hated the father, hated the mother, hated those boys that were beating the crap out of him. But then he becomes, in response to that, someone who's probably just as evil, just as broken, and, and does just as heinous a, a number of things. Right. And when he has the opportunity for love with Lou he ultimately turns it into an opportunity for advancement and to expunge that weakness from his life or what his society says is weakness, which is Bro. love. So but how does he to be procreate? I mean, uh, well, okay, so, so love doesn't drive a marriage here.
0: <laughs> I guess. I guess? And I love know. doesn't always drive procreation. Well, I know. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Okay, so. but yeah, there has to be a little bit of love for you to you know, sacrifice your life to raise some uh, some other thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're right, love's always there somewhere. Somewhere, hopefully. Um, anyway, so there you go. This visor, so they put it on him because he was a ward of the state, and they they basically just uh, what experimented on him. Is that is that what your takeaway was? I,
1: I guess. Because I'm I wondering what happened to the kid after this. So he torches his parents, then what happens? You go out in the street? But no, he mentions he became a war of the state or something, and, I mean, this the, the visor and the technology must be, you know, must be pricey tech. Right. So your theory is, because I don't remember them saying specifically. Uh, well, he's, it, I think he said he, he, he was
0: a, experimented on, poked, prodded, cut open, and rewired. So I, I kind of took okay. it that because he was an orphan, they could do all that stuff to him, you know, because they wanted to advance how to maybe cybernetically enhance people. People, Okay. Yeah, because they didn't they, – I'm sure the government didn't
1: do it because they were nice people.
0: Right. They weren't doing that to make his life any better. Right.
1: So do we ever see Jordy in these books ever take off his visor? I was wondering if, if this visor could ever come off because it doesn't yeah. seem like it does. Well, if you look at it on him, it's like there's no bridge that goes over the nose. Uh, you know, you, you got the two eyepieces, right? And then there's there's a part that goes like along uh, the temple. You know, like like your regular eyeglass arms kind of thing, mm-hmm. back to the ear. But there's nothing in the middle bridging the two eyepiece parts. So, what is it? Is it like uh,
0: is it like a Klingon eye patch? It's bolted in. <laughs> yeah yeah that's that, that's how they do it in this future <laughs> or this universe right it's, all those are just wired straight into the brain now
1: Geordi in the next gen there were a few times when he took off his visor so he got to see what was underneath and he's right. got those two things at his temples yeah that apparently the visor kind of clicks into right and then those two things at his temples apparently are the physical inputs into his brain. Right, which makes but, sense. Uh, yeah, it makes it sense. It has to the, get there somehow. Exactly. But, yeah, this... <laughs> I, think, I think Evil geordie has got some... Uh, that
0: ain't coming off. Right. All right, so can we talk about the Enterprise-D for a second? Sure. So what was that stuff they were spraying all over the, the whole... Well, it looked like Don Edwards paint. Yeah.
1: <laughs> So there's okay. shuttles. There's shuttles flying around the Enterprise and spraying this white stuff onto it. And and, and can, I can't even tell if it's white stuff or just water. Well, okay. So when they're first spraying it on, it's blue. It's like a like a blue a blue green maybe teal. Right. And then the next panel shows where
0: that fluid that, that becomes white. Exists. I'm sorry. What? I thought that was how Geordie sees it. Oh, that's how Geordi
1: sees it? Okay. Yeah. Because in the next one, okay, that, that could be, everything's ghostly white pretty much, except for the star pattern in the background. So the shuttle that is spraying the stuff on is white, the fluid is what the paint is white, and the Enterprise itself is white, and you can actually see through it to the scaffolding of the dry dock um, uh, okay. facility that it's sitting in. So it's kind. Of, it's demonstrating that, you know, it's kind of, it's a poor man's cloaking device?
0: I don't know. So it's cloaking paint? So <laughs> they're saying that this paint stuff is what's causing it to cloak? Because that didn't make yeah. sense to me. Because I've seen Scotty just hook up a, a doohickey to the warp drive and <laughs> then suddenly the Enterprise was cloaked. Okay, that's in our I universe. I always hated That's in our
1: universe. He... he well, okay, so in, I don't know whether you're talking about the Enterprise Incident or not. Yeah, I'm talking about the Enterprise Incident. Okay, so he hooked that into the, sh- the shields, the uh, Enterprise's shields, and somehow that device is able to go through the shields that are around the ship and make it invisible. So that, that was the explanation back then. Okay, I didn't catch the shield part. Yeah, he hooked it into the, uh, the deflector shields. Now this is paint, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't know, is, is the paint somehow influenced... By an electrical charge, run through the hull? I have no idea.
0: But um, And why would you paint it before it was fully built? I mean, there's still giant holes in the hull. Yeah. Yep, yeah, that's true. Usually you paint it once it's
1: done. Yep, you're right. There, there's big sections missing in the saucer section.
0: And even the neck. You can see there's parts of the neck that aren't on yet. Right, even where they're spraying. There's like, if you just go a couple of meters to the left, that's a big hole that, that's going to be eventually filled. So good why point. paint? Why paint up to oh, that good point? good points. And you can see they don't have their BFG on there
1: yet. Oh, good point. So you can see, like from, it, it, are they are they actually on Mars? Is that what they're supposed? Or are they on an uh, asteroid? Maybe. I don't, I don't know, know what. Don't they refer to it as Utopia Planitia?
0: Well, he mentions it when he's going to that little satellite. Okay. Uh, so I guess, uh, I guess that was supposed to be name drop. Okay. Well, whatever it is, the, the
1: enterpri- the sh- one of the shots they have, the Enterprise, they don't have the shuttle in there yet, the captain's yacht. So that area is uh, open. So, yeah. And right underneath there, underneath the evil <laughs> Enterprise-D, is a big old gun. But interesting that the NCC-1701D lettering that is there, by the way, yeah. I mean, the rest of the sh- rest of the ship isn't done, but they got the lettering on
0: there. There's no space made for the BFG. And doesn't the Enterprise, the evil Enterprise D, have the third nacelle? It does have a third nacelle. You are completely right. Oh, but this one right. doesn't. Nope. It, I don't see it. Uh, it's smooth back there. So maybe they just haven't installed it yet. Well, they got the other two. Seems like a lot of work. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So. Good point uh,
1: about the third nacelle. I didn't notice that.
0: Yeah. And they haven't painted that big raptor wings or whatever that that thing's oh. supposed to be on the bottom. Yep. So they got the numbering on there, but they don't have a lot of the other paint on yet. Right. Oh, well, I don't think you're supposed to think about it too hard. We're, we're spending no. a lot of time on that. We are. Okay, so
1: the big thing is Jordy always struck me as the tech geek who always had problems with women. He's in a much better position. I mean, from the number of women he's with in this evil, evil place. So he's got, uh, what's the engineer again? Leah Brahms. Leah Brahms. He's got Leah Brahms in the current time. He's got Lou in this historical place he's in. And there's probably plenty of other in between. But here, it's all flipped because it is mirror. So Mm -hmm. he's getting girlfriends. He might be in love with Lou. At the very least, I think he was falling in love with Lou. But then he, he just saw that as total weakness and he didn't want to delay the project, which he, we saw that thought that he had. But also, he turned her in so that he would not be tempted by love, because he had to keep strong. All of that just underscores how screwed up the morals of this mirror universe is. And it just is very sad. Yeah, and his
0: little his little thought balloon, where yeah. he says losing Sanchez would cost the project months as mm-hmm. a simple cost benefit analysis. Mm-hmm. That's a very Vulcan or Android way of looking at it. Well, it's an intellectual justification for yeah. what he did. Yeah, he, he doesn't he, like this guy, but if we lose the guy, we're going to be put back a couple months. Sure. And he was encouraging Lou. Oh, to... yeah! It was like his idea.
1: Exactly. Sure, sure. He was encouraging her to implement the things. Now, when they were talking about implementing her ideas and then showing him that it works, I didn't know they were talking about killing him. <laughs> so oh, Jory yeah, when completely he's like, accidents made that happen up. all the
0: time. He says that accidents happen all the time. Oh, okay. He's coming okay. to inspect the antimatter housing in tomorrow. You know, so it's okay. all his idea, and then he totally sets her up. Yeah. Because he wants his her job.
1: Well, he, that was mentioned at the very beginning, right? Yeah, so,
0: yeah, that's what she was afraid of. And then he totally, like, messes with her, loves her up, and then ends up taking her job anyways. Yeah. Uh, just
1: cold-hearted. Cold, Jordy.
0: Very cold. Anyway,
1: he's a, he's a bad butt, and now we know the backstory. And right. such a difference from our Jordy,
0: as you would expect.
1: This Which is I the weird universe.
0: Okay, so I I like the backstory. Yeah, I didn't really like the reason for him revisiting all this, and that's Troy's. Oh, what was her motivation? She well, said something about uh, just wanted to see if you would still turn on your superior like you did back then. Well, he didn't. She did. Well, he didn't turn on his superior. He well, gave he, up his peer. So she was a peer of his. Well, she did say that she was afraid he was going to take her job. So I kind of took it that she was. She was a little over him. Okay, well, the main point is, supposedly Troy saw that
1: he betrayed Lou, so he was afraid that he would likewise betray Picard in the end. So that was the justification given by Troy.
0: Right. A little bit of weak sauce there, I thought. Weak sauce. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Weak sauce. And then he's like, yeah. Yeah. And then he has that cool, like, last shot of just, I'm standing here with my guns. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, ultimately, he hates Troy for putting through all that and dredging all that up again. But he's going to move forward because they're all one big pirate band. So, anyway, and they all hate and each they, other.
0: And they don't they trust they, each other. Right. Then, as far as the covers go, did you like them all? All four of them? Do you have a favorite? Well, okay.
1: So, my favorite was clearly the third uh, one—the incentive retailer incentive. So that was the one where the uh, silhouette of Boy Jordy is in fires. Oh yeah yeah. And then I thought the drawing of Jordy was really cool. His visor doesn't quite match what's actually in the book, but yeah. No, but it's close. And he's got the little, (laughs) the little uh, like lens flare. Right. Uh, light in his eyes, or in the in the visor. Yeah, no, that was
0: that one's really cool.
1: I think that was a really good drawing of Jordy. Whereas the other ones were less impressive, and the cover B especially, I was not impressed with the quality.
0: Which one's cover B? The one where he's in the agony booth? It, it, it's the one where little. It's a little toy Jordy <laughs> is in is in the toy agony. Yeah, booth. that one's that one's definitely the most abstract. Just. Yeah, that, that, that didn't really happen. No,
1: <laughs> no, that didn't really happen. And then, uh, yeah, and then within the cloaked, within the cloak is a star pattern or star field. So you know, so we're not you know. supposed to know who it is. It's a secret. Oh, I know, but yes, the most abstract. Yes, and the first one was good. It's good. It's just Jordy in the agony booth with the reflection of the. And at first, I did not see the cloaked figure there at all. Oh I, wow. When I first looked at it, I saw Geordie, Agony Booth. That's the only thing that it registered. Eventually, the uh, cloaked figure registered for me.
0: Gotcha. So so there was no J.K. Woodward cover for this one? No. Anyways. Nope. Huh. Yeah, Tom Ralston did the third one. That, that's my yeah. favorite. Yeah, the third one is by far the best. Yeah. Reminds me of uh, like the old Star Wars movie posters and. Book covers and stuff like that. Hmm. Just, okay. I like that art style. And what do you think about the theory
1: that star pattern behind the planet is maybe the way Jordy sees a star pattern? I don't know. Oh, where it's all digitized. Yeah, it's kind
0: of streaky. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't uh, know. that it's not a normal star pattern. Nope, definitely not. All right, so shall we uh, move Let's into move the on. next one? Let's move on. That's all I have to say. This is issue five. Um, I don't know how much of the art staff and stuff's the same, so I'll just go through it all again. The writers are Scott and David Tipton, artist by Gavin Smith, colorist by Charlie Chekoff. Cherkoff? Kirchhoff. Kirchhoff? <laughs> <laughs> Chekhov. <Check-off. laughs> <laughs> I know Chekhov isn't right. Yeah. So colorist is Charlie Kirchhoff, literer Neil Yutaki, senior editor Heather Antos- and Editorial Assists by Vanessa Real. There was four covers for this, I believe. And when I say four, I mean three. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So the first cover is by J.K. Woodward. On the left, we see a larger picture of Shelby from Best of Both Worlds. To the right, we see Picard, Barclay, and Data. And Data has his hand outstretched shooting some uh, bored laser fire out of his hands. And then we see a like construction yard behind them. Cover B is by Amanda Madringa. Butchered that name, I'm sure. So, sorry. But it's uh, a picture of Troy. She has her hair in kind of like a Yeoman Rand bun on the top, but then it's also flowing out the back. So it looks a little, little odd, like a beanie's just stuck to the back of her head. And she's off looking to the left, and then behind her we see like a ring of pearls or something. Almost looks like a playing card a little bit. The retail exclusive cover is by Gavin Smith, and it shows Commander Shelby and Deep Space Nine. We kind of do a time jump. It's now two years since Picard has taken over the fleet-building planet of Fandoria. And we see Commander Data is in command of a new ship called the ISS Cronus, with its mission being to overthrow the Klingon-Cardassian alliance on a former Imperial planet called Bega Mir. Once the ship arrives at the planet, Barclay is put in charge of the Cronus to fend off the surrounding Klingon ships, while Data travels via missile casing down to the planet, and then take out the leaders in a one-man attack. Something that Rambo would be proud of. So the plan goes well, uh, with many many Klingon warriors falling due to Data's unerring aim with his Borg arm cannon. Uh, Data makes his way to the capital, and he captures the leader, Gorific and then beams up to the ship, and then just as he does so, a cavalry of six other newly minted imperial ships show up and fend off the last of the klingon ships that were still attacking the cronus so now we flash back to fandoria and we see commander shelby giving picard some advice basically just to get under his skin as she always is in the prime universe she's always very contrary but other than that she doesn't really serve a purpose she's just kind of a a talking head every once in a while Picard contacts the Empire to talk to the Emperor, who, as we see, is still comatose. And instead, Admiral Nichayev tells Picard that the Empire does not have enough dilithium to power his newly formed fleet. Uh, Troy then goes and interrogates Gorov, the leader of Bagamir planet, and through her torture and her ways, she's able to get the Klingon-Cardassian supply chain information. And she's able to tell Picard where a shipment of dilithium is going to be. So, Geordi Riker take the Enterprise-D to the cargo ship. They destroy the vessel that was guarding it. And then they hijack the cargo ship, even though all the sensor readings said that it was full of dragon fruit. But once they got there, they opened it up, and there they find pure dilithium. So Riker arrives back into Picard's office on Fandoria, and he presents a barrel full of dilithium to a very pleased Picard. And then the last shot shows Guinan, who's been watching all this on a monitor, and she has a very odd look on her face. To be continued. All right, got to get
1: some gas for these attack ships, huh? Yeah. Now, now, wouldn't you think Picard would have been thinking about this a little longer ago, before they built the ships?
0: <laughs> Instead of waiting two years and then like, hey, wait, these don't move by themselves. <laughs> exactly. We need some dilithium gas? Wait a minute. <laughs> it is weird, because when they were traveling to Fandoria, mm-hmm. it kind of seemed like, he was thinking about that stuff because they tried to get those gases from that gas planet and it ended up blowing up the whole thing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Riker. Good job, Riker. (laughs) So, but yeah, he never did solve the dilithium problem until two years into it after (sighs) they already have a fleet of ships just sitting there. Yeah, we really don't know what those gases were supposed to be for. Right.
1: They never explained it. No. It could have had nothing to do with dilithium crystals, but... We really don't know. It was just a reason for, (laughs) for Riker
0: to go down to a planet and blow everything up, blow the whole planet up. (laughs) So I got a question: If you are in command of a ship, Mm -hmm. doesn't that make you a captain?
1: Um, you know that's an interesting question. There are times when Riker didn't Riker like. Take care of the ship when Picard was off the ship. I mean, he didn't automatically become captain. No. And they didn't ever call him captain. Uh, yeah, well, I think he... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about the best of both worlds. That one, where that, supposedly that one he was he dead.
0: Captain. he became Like a field uh, commission, right? Yeah, right. Okay.
1: But for the most part, no, he was commander.
0: Right, right. Right, okay. Well, I'm talking about the Cronus, because... okay. Data is in command of the Cronus, yet he's still a lieutenant commander, which didn't make sense to me, because even Barclay still calls him commander, Mm -hmm. where I would think that as you're getting a fleet of ships and somebody's going to be in control of that, they should be given the commission of captain. Captain.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, if you're going to be, if this is a long-term assignment, this is your ship, I do agree with you.
0: And that's one of the things about the JJ universe that I didn't really like, in that Captain Kirk when he was still uh, Starfleet cadet Kirk mm-hmm. but because he took temporary command of the enterprise everybody started calling him captain and I'm mm-hmm. like we've never seen that happen before the you know we've seen somebody get a field promotion and then they you know truly were a captain at that time but mm-hmm. they were just calling anybody who sat in the chair a captain and I was just like that's not how it works
1: I, I agree with you
0: the JJ universe is weird <laughs> But
1: everybody knows Kirk is being Captain Kirk. Come on, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I I agree with what you're saying, but it's like, come on, he's Captain Kirk. Hey,
0: come on. And speaking of the Kelvin universe, you know, they they just announced a special that they're going to do called Star Trek 400, and it's going to have a another Kelvin story in there. So we're getting more Kelvin. Oh right! Oh, the comic book issue. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that's so the four gonna... hundredth Star Trek
0: IDW book. book. Yeah, got it. Right, right. Just and they're going to have stories from all over Star Trek, including uh, the JJ universe, the Kelvin universe. Which you know that makes me happy. You know, sure. So I is mean, they a, keep saying they're going to make another movie, but now, well, supposedly.
1: They made that big commitment. They even gave the date, the release date. Yeah,
0: well, they haven't started filming anything, so it's still... Yeah,
1: (laughs) and they haven't gotten Carl Urban freed up from his boys' responsibilities.
0: Yeah, well, he's usually not in the movies all that much, so... Yeah, it'd be a
1: pain, though, if they did it without him.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, he could be in it, just maybe a smaller part. (sighs) Okay. Just in the insect bay. (laughs) Let me catch you up real quick yeah yeah he he's be- one of my favorites on on the Kelvin universe so oh yeah i would hate I would hate to see his part diminished in any way yeah I, I think everybody
1: was very well um cast and i i, I think it's awesome and Carl Urban is definitely an awesome version of Bones sure okay, back to this book mm please. Okay, so I'm very interested about the whole Guinan thing at the end.
0: Yeah, what was that?
1: Well, obviously they they want that to be a little mystery box for us, right? So a little little teaser. So somehow Guinan is able to tap into surveillance cameras in the Fondori factory that Picard has set himself up in? Right. Um, where her. is she? Is she on the Enterprise? I mean, they, I mean, the Enterprise has been there for two years, right? So, I mean, who knows where people are? I mean, you, you don't assume for two years that everybody just stayed on the ship. Sure. But sure. where is she? Um, I mean,
0: even Picard's not on the ship.
1: Well, yeah, he's hanging out in the factory. Yeah, I um, don't know. And what's but, she yeah. going to do um, with this information? I mean, obviously they're, they're making this look like Gynon is um, a mole who is feeding information to the Cardassians and Klingons, or oh, yeah. she's is, like an independent. Well, there's, there's multiple things that popped in my mind. I don't know, I don't know which one's right. She is somehow an independent uh, uh, person who sees the danger in what's happening here and maybe is going to try to do something to stop it. I don't know. She this has a pretty same, concerned look on her face. Same
0: universe where she and Picard are, are lovers,
1: right? What? 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 It, no, it's not that. No, it's not that yeah, universe at all. Yeah. What? What are you talking about? What? Oh, you're not you're not mixing together that that one off one, are you?
0: Am I? Oh, maybe I am. You're mixing that in. <laughs> the uh, the no wait no it was this one it no. was.
1: Yeah. Okay. So it, in the not too distant past, we just did yeah. one, where showed a lot of weird things, but that was like a one-off thing, and it definitely did show that uh that Picard and Guinan were, yeah. So so that's the one that oh, all that, said. you're right.
0: You're right. That was the uh that <laughs> that was the myriad universe one. That's it. Oh, myriad, yeah.
1: myriad universe one. Exactly.
0: But we have seen Guinan before. And she gave Picard some, like, weird advice, oh, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She She's still an advisor. I mean, she's yeah. the
1: one who's warning him about the people on the Enterprise, his crew. She's more worried about them than she is about, what, the Klingons? Or, anyway, so, right. but the thing is, like Captain Pike did in a recent Star Trek Strange New Worlds episode, is she really trying to help Picard? Or is she trying to make him a bit paranoid about his, you know, the people in his own crew, right. um, to to kind of like sit, sow seeds of dissent to thwart what Picard's doing? I don't know for sure, but mm. but seeing this at the end, obviously they want they they want us to start doing exactly what we're doing, right. trying to figure out what's going on. What's going on? And doesn't that monitor look a little bit? Like a 1970s CRT. Oh yeah, it's huge. <laughs> <laughs> it's thick. It seems to have the whole back, you know, the electron gun space for the electron gun behind the uh, fluorescent uh,
0: tube of glass. And it looks like it might be one of those ones that swivel, like on uh, Taz. Oh, they always right. had that like triangle right. television thing in the middle yeah. of the conference room. <laughs> right, exactly. Anyway, so I point fun. that out. Uh, it's big.
1: So, what do you think about the Kronos?
0: Um, I mean, it looks like a looks like a contemporary Federation ship. Right. I, I don't remember that
1: ship class, but it is. Well, um, that is a Nebula class Nebula starship, Nebula. which basically is made up of
0: parts from the Galaxy class, right? Right. It was it was like their take of the the Reliant. So, the Reliant is to the Enterprise oh, okay. A. But this is to the Enterprise okay. D. There That's the way I always took it. Yep, when that, could I saw <SSSSR> <SSSSR> it. that could be, that could be. So we saw that,
1: I, I, so the thing on top, which is triangular for this one, there's also, that is a pod that can be exchanged out depending upon the mission needs. So a lot of times you'll see the Nebula class with like an oval thing that looks more like a uh, AWACS, modern day plane. Military mm. plane with, right, uh, right, with right. communication gear and, and radar and stuff. And that triangular one, I believe, is basically loaded up with weapons. Like photon torpedoes and launchers and that kind of stuff. So it makes so sense. It makes se- yeah, exactly. So it may- At first I was wondering, well, why'd they pick that to make more of? I mean, what, why did they pick that Prime Universe starship to make a bunch of warships for? And I think it's because of that pot on top.
0: Yeah. But, you know, and they make a lot of them.
1: They do. They do make a lot of them.
0: Yeah, I have a problem with this universe having that capability, but then they also need to bring O'Brien over from the Prime Universe to help them make a, a Defiant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. They bring Cisco over first. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense, as we've yeah, commented because, before. Because they needed him to pilot it or whatever, because... Shook itself apart or something like that. But anyways, yeah. So I don't know. I, I think there's going to be some defiant in the next issue. So maybe we'll get some of these answers. Cool. How? That'd be cool. Maybe different factions of the human resistance is doing different things. Cool. But uh, but yeah, these ships do look cool though. And, and now that you mention it, that that top part's just full of phaser arrays and torpedo launchers. That it's a good little battleship, I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so in the Prime Universe, the USS Farragut and the Bonchune, B-O-N-C-H-U-N-E, are examples of that Nebula class. And we did see some of those, I I think we saw some of those at the end of um, Generations, I think.
0: Oh, when they were helping scoop up the Enterprise? Exactly.
1: Dealing with the wreckage of the Enterprise.
0: I I think, but... I think well, we've seen I them think. in Deep Space Nine for sure.
1: Yeah. Oh, they've been, they've been around. Yeah. Yeah, We see them from time to time in the background. Never a foreground ship. Yeah. But, like, always in the background, pretty much. Hmm. Yeah, I've got one with the, uh, with the oval thing on top from Eagle Moss.
0: Oh, well, you don't have the triangle one? I don't have the triangle one. Hmm. So, in other news, other parts of the story mm-hmm. uh, what did you think about Shelby being there do you think it was just fan service that have her in the story yes she could have been swapped out with anybody yeah okay. I was a little disappointed I mean she just seemed to be there to give Picard a hard time
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> which is very Shelby but uh, but it, I mean they could have put Barkley in there and it would have served the same purpose
1: well she's Shh. okay so she's supposed to be a representative of the Empire right Maybe, maybe but never maybe. says. Yeah,
0: because I mean, he's talking to her, and then he starts talking to Nechayev But mm-hmm. Nechayev never references that Shelby's her her girl or anything like that. You know that they're that Shelby's like her voice while they're there. So okay. that's what I was. I but, was unclear. But she's yeah. But she seems like she's representing the Terran Empire more. She seems that she's being contrary to Picard and. Maybe, maybe speaking for the Terran Empire. Okay, okay. But I don't know. I I was just, I didn't like it. <laughs> well, just, she's, she's got that evil Ming, Ming
1: the Merciless collar on. Yeah, that is weird, right? That dress? No one else has a dress <laughs> like that and a Ming the Merciless collar. I'm, I'm it just not sure about that.
0: It was interesting. Mm-hmm. Fashion choices are sometimes. But then look at what Troy's wearing. That's not very Starfleety either.
1: No, but it's a nice, it's a nice black dress. (laughs) Anyways. Okay, how about Data's attack?
0: Yeah, did you like it?
1: Uh, Okay, I had to turn my brain off. But yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. So. (laughs) Yeah,
0: for an eighties action movie, it was exactly.
1: This was okay. Starship Troopers, right? So, I don't think they ever did this in the. They didn't do this in the movie, but. The whole point of Starship Troopers, which is what the movie was based off of, was these troopers would go in something just like Data's in and they would drop to a planetary surface. And of course, this was before Halo, where they did that kind of thing too. So it was kind of cool, but it was like, look at this thing. It's, It's not that big. And it definitely does look like a 1950s thing. And if it went down and like landed, and then data got out, that'd be one thing. But this thing is going down like a missile. And then you see a yeah. panel where it says, boom," And it makes a crater. Yet at the bottom of this crater, there is an intact uh, little pod, sh- pod rocket thing. And then data gets and out of it. it's
0: pointing up. Right, so yeah. at the very end, it must have flipped over, landed, and exploded. So yeah, it doesn't or, make sense. Or, or or did it did it drop a bomb underneath it? I don't. I'm, I'm trying
1: to I'm trying to adjust. I'm trying to do a a Donovan. I'm trying to mm. I'm trying to explain how this possibly could make sense. So it flips around. It it dis, it slows its descent and it drops a bomb, blows out the crater, to get everybody out of the area, where where he's going to land. Although you'll see it isn't that effective, and then it lands at a more reasonable speed so that it's it's intact and its passenger is intact and then data gets out and starts kicking butt right it was cool and stuff but it just didn't make sense with the boom
0: and the explosion in the crater yeah now in starship troopers they fall in those mechs right they they land in a big mech and then they then they take the mech around and shoot up everybody is that what you're talking I thought, about? Okay. Starship Troopers, as I recall the movie,
1: they well, I was they, talking about the book. Oh 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 yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. Yes. Okay, so so okay. so they okay, so you are talking so you read the book? Yeah. Cool, okay. So yeah. So they they drop in pod things and they go around and these, these pod things turn into mechs.
0: Right. Right. I, I hadn't thought of that, but now that you mention it and then the way data is who is a mech by himself mm-hmm. is just running around blasting everything. Um, right. Yeah, I totally see that. But I wouldn't have thought of that on my own, so that was good. I yeah. was just thinking Rambo, that this he Rambo. shows up and then he's just, <laughs> you know, shooting to two or three Klingons for every shot. He's just like, <laughs> that's, how do you get them all to stand in the line like that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so one beam cuts through two Klingon soldiers right and comes close to hitting some uh, is he the administrator
0: yeah that's the administrator the guy in the pink the pink yeah. robe the Gor Gorgroth I I'm, I'm pronounce his name every different every single yeah. time because it's but you saw that he's son of Moog right or son of, oh, son, of Mog. son of Moog son of Moog maybe it's Mog. M-A-A-Q no that's that's not the same thing as yeah Warf. it's the same okay I got um, excited there for a second I was like oh I didn't see that yeah <laughs>
1: It made perfect sense that Data had a tricorder, in his, hand, in his right hand is a tricorder where he's locating where all the life signs are, right, where all the Klingons are, for him right. to go and kill. And in his right. left hand is the BFG. And it's cool how he, like, shoots one Klingon, like, in the face, and he's like, you can see the skull disintegrating. But how did he shoot simultaneously two beams out of his arm that simultaneously cut through two Klingons?
0: because his hand's moving so fast is
1: that what it's supposed to be that's the way I took it so that could explain it but you know it looks like it's happening at the same time
0: right Right. it's just that fast he's just that just that fast okay yeah so instead of it being like a constant stream he turned it on half a second later turned it on somewhere else bam bam got them both okay well yeah yeah they do that with, with guns and stuff too so okay that's fine so
1: what is the deal with the empire or emperor anyway?
0: Uh, he's he's dead. Well, okay, there you go.
1: And we might have said this before, but in other miniseries with the mirror universe, had shown other generals in front of the emperor who's sitting in the chair pretty much the same way, either dead, yeah, that or was drugged mirroring. zero, right, right, and they keep on showing them that way. So right. it's like, is he supposed to be there just to kind of be a demonstration of how, how weak and, and on the, on the ropes the, the empire is, or did they kill him and the generals are all in charge now, admirals? Um, yeah, I'm know. not quite sure.
0: Yeah, it's, it's unsure why they would keep doing it instead of just having Machayev or that Vul- or that Vulcan and the other issue right. just take over yeah. and claim themselves as emperor.
1: Yeah. And maybe that would be too messy. Yeah. I don't know. But it's kind of like a nice little, another little mystery box. They're not explaining what's going on, but obviously something's going on. You know there's something weird going on, but you don't know exactly what. Yep. Okay. So did we have a guest starring appearance from a Deep Space Nine character in this issue that we haven't seen before? In the mirror universe, I did.
0: We yeah, I missed it. Okay,
1: so the captain oh, of the Cardassian well, escort ship. You mean Garrick? No, no. We we, oh, okay. we know that that's Garrick. Oh, okay. Because that's um, so the captain of the Cardassian escort ship that was saying, "Hey, we got nothing but fruit in here. But if you want to come over and look, come on." <laughs> um, hey. I th- I think that was Damar. You know the right hand guy to Gul yeah. yeah, I know who Damar is. Oh, okay. Look, I, I didn't notice it. Well, it does kind of look like him. It, it struck me as looking like him, and so I went ahead and grabbed some photos off the interwebs as as I, I am wont to do, and I found some pictures that look pretty close to the drawing. I'm still not sure 100% because you never hear his name. Yeah, they never call
0: him by name. Exactly. But yeah, you're right, he does look like him. Right. Yeah, but don't they all look like him? <laughs> Spoon heads, they all look the same. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I didn't catch it. Yeah, I think they slipped him in. Not, not, too not,
1: not, that, they, not that they capitalized it on, on it much, but
0: I did kind of like that scene where he's where Riker's kind of screwing with him.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the so the pilot says they're disengaging, sir, and then Demar says, "I can't believe that worked."
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it didn't.
0: Yeah, you lying bastard! Exactly. <laughs> <it's crazy. laughs>
1: Uh, I guess it Riker was, just likes to find
0: entertainment where he can. Yeah, and that uh, that giant pit of dilithium just looked like a safety issue. Mm. I and mean, if somebody fell in that room, you're just going to get skewered with dilithium shards. I, I didn't
1: realize dilithium was so dangerous. Yeah, I agree. I always thought dilithium was more like a, you know, a chunky kind of crystal, not something that's really right. long and
0: sharp. Yeah, Pointy. exactly. Yeah, these these will get you. Yeah. And then, so what did Riker take that beer barrel and just kind of like scoop up a bunch of them and bring them in?
1: Oh yeah, he wants to be dramatic. <laughs> and look at him. I mean, look at Picard. He's like, "Oh my gosh, it's Christmas."
0: Yeah, he's he's a happy guy. Oh, he's a happy man. Well done, number one. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> anyways
1: that's all i have to say about this one
0: anything else i got nothing else no yep i'm really enjoying this story Mm -hmm. Uh, i have no idea where it's going and and i guess because it's a long form Mm -hmm. you know that they don't have to try to tie it all up in four issues Mm -hmm. because they're leaving so many so many storylines dangling you know i mean we did get the resolution on who the assassin was, but we still don't know who sent the assassin and all that stuff. So there's so many so many things still out there that that need to get wrapped up in the next what, six issues or whatever. Right. It's good
1: stuff. Yeah. And I like it that they're taking their time. And it's not dragging. Right, right. So they could be taking their time and it could be dragging, which I'm not crazy about. The pace seems good. They got interesting things happening. It's like a video game to a certain degree. There's always something that Picard has to achieve.
0: Right. So, yeah, and, and the time jump concerns me a little bit as far as where it fits in Continuity. with Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Yeah. So, if the next issue or so they do get to Deep Space Nine, is it going to be like after the series was already over and the humans have already taken over Deep Space Nine? And the region is dead and all that stuff. So I'm curious to see see how it fits in. Yeah. Well, you know what happens in the
1: end. I mean, they're obviously trying to maintain continuity. Yeah, they seem to. So if they're doing that, then correct me if I'm wrong, but Picard can't be successful.
0: I think they do win at the end, don't they, the humans?
1: But it's the good humans, like Smiley. Exactly. It's not Picard and the Empire. And, right, and exactly. of course, we know, at least in the alternate universe, that ultimately, a sort of, what do they call it, confederacy? Right. If eventually, a confederacy comes together that includes Vulcans and humans and
0: yeah, that kind of a federation. The, that was the novels, right? I know,
1: which they reset and said that isn't real, but still, I like that. I did too. I, I like that ultimate resolution. It doesn't mean it can't be messy along the way, but at least finally... The mirror universe comes to something that's more civil. Right. Right.
0: Well, so I, I'm all for uh, continuing this instead of jumping over to Discovery if, if you are. Okay? I am. So next I week see maybe what we'll do next. six and Cisco number one. Right.
1: On the cover of issue six, which we are treated to at the end of, of this issue, um, it does show a lot of Cardassian and Klingon ships. Well, actually one Cardassian and then a lot of Klingon ships. And it shows um, Garak and uh, Worf. So right. I think we're going to see the actual ship-to-ship com- combat cranking up now that Picard has his fleet.
0: Right. That's and guess. then in in the Cisco one, which we did see the cover mm-hmm. at the end of Geordie mm-hmm. I mean, it shows the Defiant. And then oh, it shows... Show Cisco and... Um, oh, 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 I didn't Instagram. see that. Yeah. I
1: did not go far enough.
0: Yeah, it was the... Right after Jordy's, Jordy's little defiant stand in front of the uh, agony booth, the next page. Bam! Cisco. So, huh. yeah, definitely got me uh, excited about reading the next two okay. issues. Okay.
1: Oh, right, there it is. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're right. I completely forgot about that. That is cool.
0: And then so and him and Row. Yeah. So that's how advertisement works. So because Ken and I wrote <laughs> these we we're like, all right, next week we got to do six in Cisco. Oh, yeah. So Cisco's actually in Command of Defiant? I don't know. That's what this cover makes you think. Hmm. But that doesn't make
1: sense. Yeah, I know. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. So that's it. Yep, that's it. Thanks, everybody for joining us on the review later thank you for listening to star trek comic book review all star trek stories and characters are copyrighted cbs studios incorporated all music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only you can email us at star t comic book review at gmail.com visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at First Name ST Comic Second Name Book Review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review Let's get the hell out of here